Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. How's everybody doing today? Who, I'm curious. I want to know who's, the, who's the, the longest standing dad in the room. Who's been a father for over 40? Anybody been a father for over 40 years? Anybody been a father for over 40 years? One, two... What about over 45 years? Not over 45? 40, how long have you been, what's, 40 something? What is it? He's, I lost him, we lost him, so. How, how long have you been a dad? How long have you been a father? In the white shirt? 42, 42 years, all right. Who, who, now, there's the old, how about the youngest? Who's been a dad? I think I know who it is. Who's been a dad less than six months? Any less? Yeah, that's what I thought. Congratulations. Let's give him a round of applause. You should meet him after the service. He's been doing it a while. So anyway, well, happy Father's Day. We're so glad you're here. In fact, in honor of Dan in Switzerland, happy Father's Day um, to everyone. So glad you came on Father's Day. So uh, no, seriously, we're really, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in uh, to Revelation 8. Actually, we're, uh, before we're turning, uh, Keith, for those of you who don't know, my name is Braden. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, a senior leader of Renew Life Church. And Keith, the campus pastor here, actually was supposed to be here this morning and hurt his back actually lifting weights yesterday and literally texted from this, this morning from bed said, I literally can't get out of bed. So we tried to get him some a massage and some chiropractic yesterday. But can we just pray for Keith right quick? I told him I wanted to pray for him right now. So Lord, we just, we just ask you to show up. There's no time or distance in the spirit and this, this faith, the spirit of faith that's in this room. Lord, we just send that right, right now to his home, to his, to his body right now. And we just say, body, you align yourself right now with that bread that we just took, that broken body of Jesus. Jesus. He didn't just die for our sins. He was beaten so that we had the promise of perfect health at any time. So we just right now declare perfect health to his body, healing to his body, no pain, no stiffness, full mobility right now in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going to jump right in. I'm going to start. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't ever have a clever title to my message, but I am so happy because today I have a title to my message and I'm proud of it. If you're a note taker, you're going to love this. Today's message is called, Not Today, Satan, Not Today. <laughs> all right. Four people liked it as much as I did, apparently. So, all right. Revelations chapter eight. Uh, I'm going to start reading here in verse one. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden offer which was before the throne. And the smoke and the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, took the censer filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Is anybody else like me and just, you just kind of, for the most part, you try to steer clear of revelations? 
Anybody else, just be honest, say, you know, I don't know. I don't understand all the, all the animals with the wings and the eyes and the, the, the things. I just don't get it. Uh, for most of my life, I've steered clear of that as well. But it's interesting here lately, it seems like almost every service, something in Revelation sticks out to me every time I preach. And uh, in, in Revelations is an interesting, uh, an interesting book, uh, to say the least. It is the prophetic uh, word of John. Uh, most scholars believe it's not actually John the Apostle. It's John of Patmos, they call him. And so he gets this dream. He has this dream from the Lord. And uh, he, he's given this, all these things that he sees. And what's interesting is in all of throughout Revelations, you see these very detailed uh, lists and, and, and a lot of numerology in, in, in the book of Revelations where there was the seven churches and the seven letters and the seven lampstands and the seven seals. There's all these different things. And, uh, and, and one of the things, and that's what I want to point out today, is, is this, this idea of the seven trumpets, sorry, the seven angels and the seven trumpets. These seven angels, these seven trumpets uh, represent seasons of time. The Lord is trying to reveal seasons of time to us. He's showing us things that are going to happen. And so when you see seven, uh, the seventh is the very end, at the very end of the seasons, at the very end of the time. Just like in a week, the seventh day is the end of the week and we start back over with one. The number seven often refers to time periods and so that's what we see happening here. And so in, this, in Revelations here in eight, we're reading that there's these seven angels and these seven trumpets and the seventh is gonna tell us something. The seventh angel and the seventh trumpet is going to tell us something about the very last of the last days. And I'll read it here in Revelations 11, verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Probably the most profound explanation of this particular passage of Scripture on uh, when the seventh angel sounded the seventh trumpet and the 24, or it wasn't the 24 elders, it says a loud, loud voices from heaven came saying the kingdoms, plural, the kingdoms of our Lord have become, or, I'm sorry, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. The most profound explanation I've ever heard for this, you, you probably heard me talk about this, uh, it seems like it comes up all the time. Uh, is something called the Seven Mountain Mandate. I had heard about this concept of the Seven Mountain Mandate before, but I was educated in depth on this when I read a book uh, called Invading Babylon by Lance Wallnow and Bill Johnson. It's a phenomenal book if you haven't read it, especially if you're a business guy, someone who feels called to the kingdom but not necessarily called to full-time vocational ministry, so to speak. Uh, I, would, I would highly encourage you to get that book and read it. Uh, but I want to actually read, just to give you a brief overview of what this was, I want to read you an excerpt from uh, this uh, really the originator of this idea of the seven mountains, which who was Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM. Uh, let me read this excerpt from his book. In the book, Making Jesus Lord by Lauren Cunningham, YWAM, 1988, page 134, Cunningham wrote, sometimes God does something dramatic to get our attention. That's what happened to me in 1975. My family and I were joining the peace and quiet of a borrowed cabin in the Colorado Rockies. I was stretched out on a lounge chair in the midday warmth, praying and thinking. I was considering how we Christians, not just the mission I was a part of, but all of us could turn the world around for Jesus. A list came to my mind, categories of society which I believed we should focus on in order to turn nations, excuse me, around to God. I wrote them down and stuck that paper in my pocket. The next day, I met with a dear brother, the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Bill Bright. He shared with me something that God had given him several areas to concentrate on to turn the nations back to God. 
They were the exact same areas with different wording here and there that were written on the page that was in my pocket. I took it out and I showed Bill and we shook our heads in amazement. Here's this list refined and clarified a bit over the years that God gave me that sunny day in Colorado. The home, the church, schools and education, government and politics, the media. How many of you guys believe the Lord should show up in the media any day now? Arts, entertainment, and sports, commerce, science, and technology. These seven spheres of influence will help us shape societies for Christ. That's been a profound thing in my life over the years as I have endeavored to, say, to seek the Lord on how do, you, how do you train people to advance the kingdom of God if they don't work in a church? There seems to be this idea that those that work in the church or maybe a pastor or something like that, they're the ones that have given their life for the gospel or they're the ones that have given their life for the sake of the kingdom. But we represent in, in reality, especially the fivefold office, those that are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, we actually represent a small number of people. And I've always hungered to know how do you... How do you train and encourage? What's God say about people who are not called to work at a church or, or a mission or something like that? And uh, so I love, this, I love this concept where he gives that language and identity to these, to these seven mountains. If you take that, that concept and you partner with Matthew chapter six in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. He's not just teaching the disciples how to pray. He's actually giving them their earthly assignment when he said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's an assignment on the life of every single one of us in this room, not to hold on in this nasty old world till we get to heaven, but to, by faith, pull heaven down into this earthly realm. Can I get an amen? That is the, as crazy as that may sound to you, if you've never heard that language before, there is an assignment on every single one of us, not to just try to make it to heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. And if you take these two concepts and you marry, kind of marry that seven mountains, Revelation 11, Matthew chapter six together, what you find here is there's an assignment on every believer's life to bring heaven into every mountain on this earth, into every single area on this planet. That's where actually Renew Life Church gets its vision statement from. The vision statement of this church is very simple. We exist to see heaven come to earth in every area of life. We wanna see heaven come to earth in your family. We wanna see heaven come to earth in politics. We wanna see heaven come to earth in science, arts, entertainment, in every single area of life. We want to see heaven come to earth. I believe with all of my heart, that's what Revelations 11 is talking about when it says that that seventh trumpet will be sounded by that seventh angel and the, and the voices will cry out, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord. What that means to me is at some point in time, at least in the end times, believers, Christians, will have gotten very serious about their assignment to bring heaven to earth. So much so, heaven will be on earth in every area of life, at least to some degree. Heaven to earth in every area of life. Now, the problem with that is, is we, as believers, if we're going to bring heaven to earth in every area of life, we have to have an accurate awareness of the realities of heaven. What's heaven like? What, what are the realities of heaven? If our assignment is to bring heaven to earth, are we supposed to start paving all the streets with gold? And if the streets aren't gold on earth, man, we didn't, we didn't get there. If everyone's not living in a mansion, did we, did we not get there? What, what does it mean to bring heaven to earth? We have to get to know God 
who he is, how he thinks, how he feels about every single area of life if we're ever going to bring heaven, his way of doing things to this planet. We actually have to know what is God and what is not. I love that Keith talked about this last week and I think it was last week and he did his message on ready faith. If you're gonna have faith in the moment, you actually, when the moment shows up, if, when sickness shows up, when, when lack shows up, when division shows up, when, when certain things show up, you need to know how God feels about it. You need to know how he thinks about it. You need to know what the word of God says about it. So in that moment, you actually have faith to do something about it. You have to have an accurate awareness of the realities of heaven for us to actually fulfill this assignment. We have to prepare ahead of time. We have to know the will of God. We have to know the heart of God. That means we're gonna have to spend time in his presence. We're gonna have to spend time in his word. And here's one that not a lot of people understand. We're gonna have to spend time with his family. Did you know the more time you spend with the family of God, the more you learn how God thinks? If you're married, you already know this, but God doesn't think like you. More times than not, he thinks like your wife or your husband or somebody, somebody else in that particular moment. But I want you to imagine this, especially as it pertains to the redemptive gifts there in Romans 12 that the Lord, uh, that they teach us about. In, in Romans chapter 12, the redemptive gifts, God placed a piece of his character, a piece of his nature in every single one of us in a very unique blend, in a very unique blend of, you know what, I know how they were raised, I know what they grew up in, I know things that they think they know, the things that they're actually right about, things that they're wrong about, and I know that if I'll place this part of myself in him, given his experiences, given what he knows, given that I've made him completely unique anyway, that expression coming from him is going to be a unique expression of me that nobody else can pull off completely unique. So if I, am, if I reject the body of Christ, I am literally rejecting God. We, you shouldn't, let me say this. I, I love how Dan put this in, during ministry time. You shouldn't come to church just so God's not mad at you. That's not why you should come to church. You should come to church. You should be a part of the body of Christ because when you're a part of the body of Christ, you are constantly seeing who God really is in hearing the way other people think and hearing the way other people respond. When you're in relationship with someone and someone tells you, oh, actually, I had a kid and they were acting like a crazy one and they did this, 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 and here's what I did, and man, we've seen complete turnaround. All of a sudden, you just heard the wisdom of God come through a human. A wisdom that you may have never known. And like you said, when we behold him, when we behold, when, in looking at the body of Christ, it's called the body of Christ for a reason. We, when, we, when the body of Christ is a perfect picture of Jesus. When we behold him, what does it say? We are constantly being transformed into him. The more I'm around people that have the spirit of God on the inside of him that were created in his likeness and image, the more I'm actually becoming like him. We have to spend time in his presence. We have to spend time in his word, but we have to spend time in his family. Why? Because I need to know what the realities of heaven are. I actually really need to know what God's really like. I actually want to know how he really thinks. And rejecting any of these things is saying, Lord, I, I, I'll allow you to show me who you are in, in the Bible, but I don't, I don't know. This concept of being in your presence, that's just a little weird. That's just a little bit of, that's a little scare. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable. I'll just be honest with you. How many guys would be more uncomfortable all alone talking to God than you would be in a group setting? I used to, there was a, I had a, a children's pastor one time, and 
I told, I remember telling her, uh, she, she was dealing with some fear and some insecurity and some things. And I remember telling her, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get some worship music. And this is actually probably a good exercise for anybody that struggles with some of this stuff. I want you to get, uh, get a, uh, I almost said a boom box, like I'm a hundred. Uh, get, <laughs> get a music playing device. And I told her, I was like, I want you to go in one of the, and I told her, I said, no, you're, you're not sitting at your desk today. Before you come to your desk today, you're going to go in the back, you're going to go in the children's classroom, the very, very back, and I want you to go all by yourself, and I want you to turn on worship music, and I want you to worship like you see the little kids worship that you teach. She was always talking about how the little kids, y'all ever seen little kids worship? Have you ever noticed it's nothing like we worship? We're so sophisticated in our worship. When we lift our hands, it's just about the appropriate level. Don't get them too high. And, and you go back and watch our kids, and what are they doing? Acting crazy. You know what's funny about that, and actually funny not funny, is it's because they actually don't really care who's watching. Their focus isn't on the room. So I told her, <laughs> I could tell that was working, so I'm gonna leave that there. Uh, so I told her, I said, uh, I want you to go back in that room all by yourself, and I want you to worship like you see those little kids worship. I want you jumping up and down. I want you to do some jumping jacks. And at, literally as I was even telling her what to do, her whole neck started blotching up red. You could just see the anxiety starting to crawl all over her. And, and, and what was the point? I'm, and, I, and I told her this. I said, I want you to worship until you are completely uncomfortable. And then on the inside, I want you to ask this question. Why do I feel uncomfortable when it's just me and him? You know, in Scripture, when the Lord showed up, oftentimes it freaked people out. There was an awe. There was an awesomeness about him. There was an awareness that I am in the presence. Remember Peter, when he first saw, when Jesus did that first miracle with Peter, he, what did he, he fell to his knees. And he said, oh my gosh, I am, I am not worthy to even be around you. When God shows up, sometimes one of the things that we feel is that awe, that oh my gosh, that overwhelming sense of his goodness, his glory shows up in such a way that sometimes our physical mind can't comprehend how to respond. We have to get comfortable being in his presence because it's in his presence that we are refreshed. It's in his presence that he can do things exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Sometimes we, we can read the word, we can, by revelation, hear the Holy Spirit teaching us to it, and we can apply it. But sometimes God can do things in his presence he could never do just by you reading the Bible. He could never do, and, and I'll put it this way, he won't do just by reading the Bible. He won't do just by you coming to church. He will withhold certain things that are only available in his presence because he wants to woo you into his presence and say, hey, I know this might freak you out, this may seem a little weird, but I need you over here to get everything I have for you. We've got to get very comfortable in his presence, very comfortable with his word, comfortable with his family. Why? Because we need an accurate awareness of the realities of heaven because the realities of heaven are the reality of our assignment on this earth. Y'all are so quiet this morning. I'm just going to assume you think this is the greatest message you've ever heard. It's what I'm telling me and telling myself on the inside. We, ha we have to... Um, Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, we are constantly at odds. There's this constant holy tension between the ways of the world and the ways of heaven. 
We feel that tension. Sometimes we don't actually know exactly what it is. Hebrews 5.14 says it this way, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Did you know you have to train yourself so that when certain things happen in this world, you know that's not heaven. That's not God. That is not the reality of heaven. That is the reality of this world. And every time I sense that, no, that's the reality of this world instead of the reality of heaven, a light bulb should go off on the inside and say, I have a job to do. I have a role to play in this. My, my awareness, my training in this so that my senses are exercised. That's one of the most powerful scriptures there is when it comes to parenting is to discern both good and evil. A lot of parents, they know what to do when evil shows up. They just don't know what evil is. As a mom and a dad, you ever notice this? When your kid does something, especially when they're really, really small, and you're like, I'm pretty sure you just cussed me out. My, two, my two-year-old right now. Every now and then, she'll, we'll be talking to her. I'm like, hey, Evan, you, you stop there right now. And I'm like, that wasn't a word to me, but I'm pretty sure that was a word to you. That meant something to your little heart right now. It's, it's discerning. It's discerning. Hey, was that rebellion? Was that, was that an evil thing that I just saw there? In the same way, sometimes we're so inundated with the ways of the world, we actually start to believe it's normal. And it's so not normal in the kingdom of heaven. It's so not normal. It's, it's just not normal. And until we have such an awareness of the differences between the world and the kingdom of heaven, we're, and a lot of us do this, myself included, we are walking through this, this, this life, walking through this world, and we're doing nothing because we don't see that anything's wrong. Why are you not? I don't know. I just figure that's just kind of the way it is. Things are just that way. You know, if right now, let me get, I was actually processing some of this with, with Leanne the other day. If right now, if right now, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we just, we saw a couple, just some random shadows running behind this curtain, and we see two people, a guy pulls out a gun and shoots, and we're all sitting here watching this. Every one of us knows, oh my gosh, he just shot him. Somebody should do something. Am I right? We're, we're going to be absolutely appalled. That is a very clear, that, that should not be happening right now. I've seen, I've had this happen in parking lots and stores where I've seen, I've seen a mom or a dad get out of the car and they, they'll grab their kid and they'll rip them out of the car. I've seen parents slap their kid in the face and hit, anybody else ever seen something like that? And something on the inside of you goes, no, no, I don't know what I'm fixing to do, but I'm about to do something. Somebody needs to do something. Why? Because something in you knows that shouldn't be happening. That should not be happening. We've got to get, those are easy ones. Those are easy ones. We've got to get to the place that when something's happening on this planet that so violates the kingdom that something on the inside of us goes, no, no, no. And it starts with our personal lives. Did you know that some of you, you're getting your butt whipped by the devil and you don't even know you have any power to stop it? Because there's this little lie saying, well, this is just how it is. This is just how life is. This is just how marriage is. Just, this is just the way that things are. And there's not that alarm bell going off on the inside of you that's like, no. And this is where I in- introduce this phrase to you today. Not today, Satan. You ever had those moments where you, you were all of a sudden aware of the fact that, wait a minute, I should be doing something about this. You need to learn that phrase. Not today, Satan. Not today. Not today. 
I, uh, my, my, my middle daughter came home from school the other day, and she was just so upset, extremely upset, because there's a, there's a girl at school who uh, has two moms. And uh, there were some other Christian friends of hers that were making fun of this little girl for having two moms, and they were just berating this little girl. You're, you, you, you shouldn't have two moms. That's wrong. That's not the Bible. That can't, that's not. And they're berating this little girl. And my, my daughter came home from school just furious about her. You know why? Because that's not the reality of heaven. Something in her, and she came home, and, she, and I asked her, I said, well, what did, what did you do? And she's like, I just... I, I was so mad, I just walked over and said, hey, come here. And I talked to her and I was like, hey, you want to go to church with me? <laughs> I'm not so convinced that the thing God's looking for is that we do the right thing. I think sometimes he's just looking for us to do something. I think sometimes we make excuses for not doing something because we didn't know the right thing. Well, I can tell you that the right thing's not Nothing. It's something. Faith looks like something. Obedience looks like something. I, uh, I was pulling through the drive-thru the other day in, the, in at, uh, Roses, because God blesses Roses burritos a little more than he blesses all the other burritos on the planet. And so I was going through Roses drive-thru. By the way, to get one of those $7, you ever eat the little $7 burritos? How are they getting away with this? Sorry, I, I digress. Um, and this kid, I just... He just, he went, I pulled in the window and I was with my oldest daughter and we're talking and this kid just reached out and he, when he reached out, I, he was wearing a cast on his arm. And I don't, and I'm not normally one that does this, but something inside of me was just like, no. And I, poor kid, I probably scared the crap out of him. But I said, hey, what happened to your hand? And he goes, oh, I broke it. And I said, well, how, how'd you do that? He said, I broke it skateboarding. And I was like, oh, okay. So he hands me my stuff. I said, can I, can I, pray for, can I pray for you? He goes, what? I said, no, can I, can, I, can I pray for your hand? And he's like, yeah. And he stood there and I go, stick it out the window. He's <laughs> feeling all saucy. <laughs> like Keith telling everybody what to do. Um, so I said, stick it out the window. And he's like, <laughs> and so I just reached out and grabbed his hand. And I just began to pray for his hand for God to heal it. Here, here's the, and, and, and here's the American way of thinking. We want to say, what happened? Because we believe that this most significant thing is the result instead of the process. The most significant thing was he got prayed for. Whatever faith I had, now mind you, was it enough to maybe miraculously heal his hand? I don't know. I, I pulled off and left. He had a, I, I don't know. I am not responsible for the results I am responsible for the doing something. I am responsible for seeing something in this world and going, that is not the reality of heaven. And I don't know if it's gonna work this time, but I'm not gonna sit there and not take seriously the assignment that God gave the disciples, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven has no casts, roses should have no casts. Do something. I, um, 
Have you ever, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been here, you've just had something happen where you're like, or there's just something that just sends you over the edge, like you see something that just sends you over the edge. I, up until this morning, I swore that this story I'm about to tell you would go with me to my grave, well, me and my wife, uh, basically, but I actually felt like the Lord said I'm supposed to tell this story. This, uh, not, how long ago this is, is somewhat irrelevant, but since I've been in Lubbock, I'm just confessing my sins. Um, I pulled into a parking lot and I, I know I was crowded parking lot and my wife were on a date and I'm, I'm pulling this parking spot or I'm looking for a parking spot and I come upon this this big dually truck who is literally parked caddy cornered over four parking spots. Anybody ever seen anything like this? Did it I, did it do to you what it did to me that day? We're fixing to find out. I saw that and I I don't know if I was just having a bad day. I don't really know what was going on. And I turned to Lee and I said, did you see that? She said, yeah, I saw it. I said, I'm finna flatten his tire. <laughs> and she did what you just laughed. It was like, oh yeah. And I said, no, no. So I, just, I pulled around, I parked right beside his truck and I got out. And I, I if you're a young kid in here, earmuffs, this is one, earmuffs, earmuffs. You don't wanna hear what I'm, yeah, earmuffs. I don't know if you know this, but you can take, there's a little valve stem cap that you can just unscrew that little deal. You can put a little bit of rock in that thing and then you can start to screw it back on until you hear So I just said, not today, Satan. Not, not today. You're not getting all them parking spots. Not today. So I've, and, and as I'm over there screwing it in, Leanne is making a bad dash as far away from me as she can possibly get. As I, and I just went into the restaurant and I thought, man, that, the bad part about this is I don't even get the satisfaction. I don't even get the satisfaction of seeing him have to fix his flat tire. So we go have dinner. We, we start to come out and as I get out, and, I, and again, I'm parked right by the guy, person. And some of the team were like, I hope he's in here today. I swear to God, I hope he's in here today. Uh, and I'm parked and all of a sudden, and I, I come out of the door and I can see a crowd of people what looks like around my truck. And the thought, I'm, this is God is my witness, the thought crosses my mind, I'm getting beat up today. <laughs> Somehow or another, I'm getting beat up today. I have never been in a fight as an adult in my entire life, but I'm getting beat up today, I can tell. And so as we're walking, I can hear Leanne going, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, just act like you don't, act like you don't know anything. So anyway, long story short, we get there and I, get to, I had the pleasure of seeing 15 to 20 people change that tire. It felt so good. I repented for what I had done. <laughs> because to be quite honest with you, I'm, I was, I'm 99% sure that what I did was not the word of the Lord, was not, uh, it was something other than that. I kept 1% back just in case I ever see it again. So I'm somewhat justified to at least think about doing it again. Because it's just, it's just wrong. Anybody else ever see something you're like, it's just wrong, somebody needs to do something about that. Anybody else ever flat anybody's tire? Yeah, I did that. Uh, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I said that just to kind of make a lot of the fact that there are some things that in the, in, the, in the world that when we see them, something that we have never seen in ourselves should start bubbling up. I'm pretty sure that day it was the flesh, just to be clear, just so you're not, this is not a theological statement I'm making about going around flattening tires. I'm pretty sure that was the flesh. I'm 99% sure. 
But in the kingdom, there should be things that when we see them, that something bubbles up on the inside of us and we're like, ah, I'm sorry. I know I've, I've dealt with, I've dealt with a lot of insecurity in my life. I don't know if I have that much faith. I've never even prayed for such a thing. But at some point, enough of the kingdom should get in you that it has to get out of you. All throughout scripture, Moses. What do you see about Moses? Moses, he's raised in, he's a Hebrew, but he's raised in Pharaoh's house. And one of his first, that we know of, first trips out of the, the palace, he comes and sees an Egyptian slave master beating one of his people. And what happened? Something rises up on the inside of him. Something's like, uh-uh, you're not gonna do, not today. Now, he ended up killing a guy. He didn't fight in his tire, he killed him. So just for the record, I, I'm, I'm one up on Moses. Just making that up, putting that up there kills him. Now, was his response the right thing? No. She had gone that far? No. Was it wisdom? No. And I, there's so much revelation in that particular story because it says that Moses, running from Pharaoh, he goes, ends up at this well, finds his wife Zipporah, and then ends up serving his father-in-law before he comes back to fulfill his assignment. So, so many times people go into their assignment before they went into their serving. And it was in his serving that he learned the wisdom for his assignment. The fervor for his assignment was always there. I don't want my people being treated like that. But all of a sudden he goes on a little journey, also finds his wife, which let's just be honest, anybody who finds a wife, you're already one up. That's, that's the number one thing. So he finds his wife and then he serves his father-in-law for a season. And in that place of serving, the Lord sends him back to fulfill that thing that was in his heart, yet this time with wisdom. But there was something on the inside of him that was like, no, I, not today, Satan. You're not, this is not happening today. David shows up on the battlefield. And from where? Serving. Where was he? In his father's business, working, serving. Where was he sent from? Where was he sent from into his assignment that day? He was sent from serving. He who is faithful with another man's, what happens? God gives him his own. He shows up on the battlefield and what happens? He's like, what is this? What? Something happened on the inside of him. And he says, this is not the kingdom. This is not, this should not be happening. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's mocking the, the living God, the, the, I, who's, who's challenging the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? Why? Something, enough of heaven got in him that it had to get out of him. Enough faith was in him that it had to get out of him. Jesus, the model Jesus. He's, he's in a situation, his, his disciples have just come to him and told him, John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus, there was a special place in his heart for John the Baptist. John, Jesus called John the greatest man that ever walked this planet. That's saying something. And the greatest man that ever walked the planet, Jesus just lost the greatest that he'd ever known. And he's hurting and he's broken and he's, he's, he's uncomfortable. And he says, I want to get away for a while and grieve. And so he says, let's get in the boat. Let's get away from these crowds. I want to disconnect from ministry. I need some time for myself. But as he's trying to get away for some time for himself, the crowds were so hungry for what he carried. They were so broken that they followed him and found where he was at. And Jesus, in his, even in his brokenness, looked at the people and said, I'm sorry but not today, Satan. I know I'm hurting and I'm having a bad day, but I'm not gonna leave these hurting people hurting. 
I'm not going to leave these broken people broken. And it says in a moment of his weakness, in a moment he was weak and grieving, said he healed their sick. Why? Because there was too much of the kingdom in him for it not to come out of him. And when the kingdom of heaven encountered the kingdom of this world, he said, not today. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. This happened just last week in this church, sitting in this, in this parking lot. A young girl drove her car two hours to get to this service. And as she pulled into the parking lot, her car broke down. Shaking, rattling, smoke. I mean, it, it blew up. And there was, a young, there was a man in our church that when he came out to leave, there was this single girl, no family, no nothing, said, I don't know what to do. My car's broke. <laughs> and he said, not today. Not today. And this, the girl was given a ride back to where she came from. And then on his own, he came back the next day. I'm sorry, came back actually that night. He was gonna come back the next day. Came back that next day, put her car on his truck, drove it back to his house, fixed her car. Then him and his wife drove it to where she was and delivered her car to her the, literally the next day. What is that? He's done too much for me. There's too much that God, too many stories in my life, too many things that God's done in my life that are stored up on the inside, too much heaven on the inside for me to sit there and look at this situation and go, I gotta get to lunch. I don't have time for this. This is an inconvenience. I'm sad. I'm broken. I don't know if I'll have enough. No, something happened. He said, not today. Not today. I want to be... <laughs> I want, I want to be a follower of Jesus that, that carries that. When I have so much of heaven's realities, I've spent so much time in his presence, so much time in his word, so much time in his family that I have a rich deposit of heaven on the inside of me, that I have an accurate awareness of the, the kingdoms of this world versus the kingdoms of our God. And when I show up to a situation, whether it's lack, need, sickness, disease, strife and envy, one of them, that's a big one. Go look up, go in Proverbs and look up the seven things that God hates. And then you ask yourself, do I hate them as much as he hates them? Do I hate when people lie about someone? Do I hate gossip so much? Or am I like, oh God, I mean, I don't want to lose a friendship because I, I know they're sitting there gossiping. I know they're sitting in there sowing strife. But we've all done it. I'm guilty as charged. Where we've seen violations of the kingdom right in front of our face and didn't have the courage to go, no, not today. Let me read this scripture in closing. Matthew 19, 28, 29, Jesus answered, yes, all of you have become my followers. And so in the future world, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, I promise you that you will sit on the 12 thrones to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And all who have given up home, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or land will be given a hundred times as much and they'll have eternal life. One translation says they'll receive, they'll receive a hundredfold return in this lifetime and the next. What is it saying? Don't be afraid to leverage anything of this world for something of his kingdom. Man, what, this might cost me, my, my, my family might think I'm weird. I might have to give up my home for this. I might have to change the way that I live. I might have to give away my savings account. I might have to do something that makes me look weird in front of someone. There is nothing that you're, if you're, not, if you're willing to give it up 
in this lifetime, you're gonna get it back a hundred times. If your motivation is not my will, yours be done. Not my kingdom, your kingdom. Not the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of heaven. That's my assignment. That's what I live for. And there's nothing in my natural life that I won't leverage. There's nothing in my natural life that I won't give up, that I won't put at risk if it's for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm having to, if you're, if you're new here, I promise you I won't flatten your tire. One, I think. Just don't park in four spots at once. Two, I'm, I, I feel a little more intense than, in today than I am, have been maybe in some messages past. But I, the Lord had to remind me that um, I'm, not, I'm not building... I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to lead a church in such a way that I'm trying to increase attendance so that every Sunday when people show up, they're like, man, that, he was so funny. He was so this. And the children's ministry, they gave my little kid a little baggie. And da, da, da. And I'm not against any of those things. I hope your kid gets a baggie today. Who knows? It might be that. You know what? It's Father's Day. You're going to get some jerky. How about that? You get some meat out of the deal. Sometimes the, the strongest trees in the world you never see, you don't see for a long time because before they're growing up, they're growing down. And then as we start, as we start this church, as we launch this church, as we begin to move forward in what God's called us to do, as a leader, I owe it to you to care more about what's happening down than I do about what's happening up. It'd be real easy for me to brag to all my friends and say, oh, we launched our church and these are the numbers and here's what we're saying. That would be really easy. But would I be doing the, the, the people that were called to reach in this city a disservice because I was so surface that I didn't talk about the things that were deep, deep down that were actually gonna sustain you when all hell breaks loose in your life. I have a passion to build deep before we build up. If you're new here, come back next week. Keith will probably be here and it'll be a lot nicer. Keith's just nicer to me in general. I have a passion to lead a church that's full of depth, not just full of people. Jesus changed the world with 12. How many will it take for us to change a city? To change a region? To change a state? To change a country? I, I have no assignment from the Lord on how big, I'm not looking for a size of anything. I'm looking to, I'm looking to be faithful with what he's given me. And I have, a, I have a passion for right now to say, you know what, Lord? The church can grow up in the years to come, but right now we gotta grow down. We gotta get deep. This foundation has to be built right. And I wanna have a church full of people that are passionate about something on the inside of them saying, I have to, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna let me put it this way. I just wanna be a part of a church that does something. Says something. Sometimes Peter, that son of a gun in scripture, he was always doing the wrong thing, but he was doing something. Jesus is coming to get arrested. Oh, not today, Satan. <laughs> Jesus is like, that wasn't even Satan, Peter. Calm down. Like, what are you doing? Calm down. After Jesus dies, Peter's already, no, he's denied Jesus. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Whatever. He's always, why fishing? I, I don't know. People say he backs it. I just think Peter's like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go do something. He did something. And the guy that did something instead of nothing, even if it was the wrong thing, was the one that Jesus went, 
Now, I, know, I know a lot of people don't think this, but that's the guy I'm going to build my church on. I'm going to build my church on somebody that will do something, even if it's the wrong thing, because it's done by faith. It's done from the right heart. It's done with the right motive. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.